Well, we're, we're almost there, almost to the end of the Advent season, almost ready to, to put the season of waiting to rest. We see we've got all four candles on the Advent wreath lit. We're ready to, to light that Christ candle, ready to welcome in the Christ child, ready to herald the coming of Emmanuel. Right? We're so close that we even let some Christmas hymns sneak into the service today. It's like the cardinal sin of Advent, and we broke it. But we're so close, so close to celebrating and remembering once again, Emmanuel, God with us, God in human flesh. I want you to to do something for me for for just a moment, and it it may seem a tad odd, Uh, not something I typically do, but I want you to just close your eyes for a minute. And you could do I'm not going to like come steal your wallet or your purse or something like that. Close your eyes for a minute and form a, a picture in your mind of what you think of when you hear the phrase, God is with us. Form a picture of what you think of when you hear the phrase, God is with us. And just hang on to that picture for just a minute. It could be that, that nativity scene with Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds gathered around welcoming in the Christ child. Maybe it's a moment uh, from your past, from your life, when, when you set out on, on a new endeavor, a new job, new journey, with the certainty and the confidence that, that God was with you. Maybe it was a time that that you were provided for in an unexpected way and you you had the certainty of God's presence in your life. Just Just think on that for a moment. What you hear, what you see, what you feel when you hear the phrase, God is with us. All right, you can you can open your eyes. Uh, I don't know what you thought of. Uh, for me, a, n- a number of things come to mind. Maybe one of the the most vivid pictures is is the day that that Della was born, right, welcoming in this this precious gift of a child, and and the Thanksgiving that that God continued to watch over and, and protect Vanessa during pregnancy and, and delivery. And I remember the first time holding her, having this this feeling this, this certainty that, that God was with us, he was good, he was, he was gracious to us, providing this gift. And, and I suspect that for most of us, when we think of that phrase, God is with us, we think of very positive things in our life. We, we think of good things, we think of times of plenty and times of immense blessing, where, where God's presence is, is very real and tangible in those good things. When we hear God is with us, we think of, of just being showered with, with his gracious giving and, and open hands, pouring out gift after gift after gift. Now, when we think of bad things, painful things, times of, of hurt, times of loss, times of temptation... If you're like me, one of the things that I, that I often think in those moments is that, well, God must somehow be absent if this is happening to me. 
that, that he's present in the good things, but, but he must be absent or distant in the bad things. And, and I don't know if this is something that I was explicitly taught or, or a conclusion that I reached on my own. But I think we often have this tendency to solely associate this statement that God is with us when there are good things happening in our lives and that the difficult things, the times of suffering, well, that must signal God's absence or, or those things must simply just be from Satan. Right? So my answer to, to the whole conundrum of, of why do bad things happen to good people How does a good, gracious, and loving God allow such suffering to exist in our world? Well, it would simply be something like, well, those things are not from God, they're from Satan. I think we often have a tendency to think this way, that we associate God's presence solely with the good things in our life. But interestingly enough, as we look at this text from Isaiah... God's presence is not simply associated just with immense blessing. This promise of the sign of Emmanuel, God with us, is sort of mixed with both blessing and curse. Now throughout the scriptures, there's always this sense that we see that God is with his people. Right? We see the Spirit of God hovering over the waters at the beginning of creation. We hear over and over again to, to Moses and to his people Israel and to the prophets, God giving this promise, I will be with you. We even hear at the end of the book of Matthew, when Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, when he's about to leave his disciples, what is his word and promise to them? Behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. So there is this sense that throughout the scriptures that God is present with us. Right? And that's one of the central things we believe about God is he is not limited to a particular time or to a particular place, but God really is present everywhere. God, God fills the expanse of his entire creation. So certainly we say that, that God is always with us, but we also acknowledge that the statement God is with us does not necessarily mean that we will only experience good things, that we only experience comfort in life. Right? Some, some who, who preach the, the prosperity gospel might indicate such things. That if God is with you, if he's present, well, you will be filled with, with riches and, and immense blessing. But we see over and over again throughout the scriptures that God's presence doesn't always indicate Blessing. It doesn't always indicate that we will have good things present. It doesn't always indicate that life will be comfortable. You know, I remember the first time that I was really kind of confronted with this truth and and my thinking about, well, good things are from God, bad things are from Satan. I was confronted with this in in a college course. And we were studying the book of Job and kind of addressing this whole problem of suffering. And the, the, the professor, he, he kind of laid out kind of how I typically thought and how many of us tend to think. And he said, you know, if you think that every good thing is from God, if, if blessings are from God and suffering is from Satan, well, you don't really have monotheism anymore. You essentially have two gods. You have a God of, of blessing and good things and, and a God of, of bad things. 
And really your hope is essentially that the God of good things will just overwhelm the God of bad things. And once again, we see here in Isaiah that God's presence does not always promise solely good things. See, what has happened in the book of Isaiah up until chapter 7 is, you know probably the story that the nation of Israel has been divided in two. Right? What was once God's single nation of Israel has been divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom encompasses the region of Judah and Jerusalem, God's holy city. And at this time, Ahaz is reigning as king over Judah. And he gets word that Ephraim, part of the nation of Israel, that the northern kingdom has joined up with the nation of Syria, and they are planning to come and take Judah by force. That their armies are coming and they seek to overwhelm the nation and the army of Judah. And so King Ahaz is terrified of what's coming. He's afraid of these two nations that have risen against him. And so what he does is he goes and he essentially cuts a deal with the king of Assyria this other large growing empire. He's sort of seeking to hedge his bets that that maybe the king of Assyria can help protect me against Syria and Ephraim. And so God sends the prophet Isaiah to King Ahaz to simply tell him, don't do that. You don't need to do that. I will protect you against these two nations. I will overcome them. Your kingdom will not be overthrown. You will be okay. I will be with you. And interestingly enough, God wants King Ahaz to trust this so much that he invites Ahaz to do something that is often often not done in Scripture. Ahaz is invited by God to actually ask for a sign. Said it could be anything you want. It can be as high as the heavens. It can be as low as Sheol. It could be whatever you want. Simply ask for a sign. But the problem is, is that Ahaz has already made up his mind that instead of putting his trust in God to protect him, he is going to put his trust in Assyria to protect him. And so he sort of fakes this whole pious response and he says, oh no, I wouldn't want to put God to the test. But this isn't piety. It's simply unbelief. Instead of trusting in God, he's put his trust in Assyria. Trusting that this kingdom will protect me. And so through the prophet Isaiah, God responds says, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Interestingly enough, we have this language shift. Isaiah says, Is it too much that you weary men that you weary my God also? No longer is it Ahaz's God. No longer is it the house of David's God because of their unbelief. Is it too little that you weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
So there's going to be this sign that comes to King Ahaz of a young woman who has never been married, who has never lain with a man, and she is going to miraculously conceive and bear a son, and this son will be called Emmanuel. He will be God with us. He will be the sign to you that God is present with you and with your nation. But then we notice that the sign of Emmanuel does not simply mean blessing for Ahaz and for Judah. Because Isaiah continues, he says, He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be destroyed. So in one sense, there is blessing. The the, the two nations, Ephraim and Syria, that Ahaz fears, they're going to be destroyed. They're going to be overwhelmed. God is still going to protect Ahaz and protect Judah in spite of their unbelief. This image of eating curds and honey later in the chapter is associated with living in this land of plenty and abundance because of the desertion of Ephraim and Syria. So God's saying, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to prosper your nation. But there is still judgment and there is still suffering coming. Verse 17 says, The Lord will bring upon you and upon all your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. So this king and this nation that Ahaz has wed him and his nation to are going to become this curse for him. And there's going to be more judgment, there's going to be more suffering than even that day when the nation of Israel was torn in two. Yes, there's blessing. Yes, I'm going to protect you, God says. But there's going to be suffering. There is going to be exile. There's going to be judgment upon that unbelief. You see, I think what we need to do is we need to learn that it is not enough for us to simply say that God is present when good things are in our lives. That when I can see His blessings, that when my life is comfortable, then I know that God is present with me. But what is also evident is that God is present even when there is suffering. And sometimes His presence doesn't just feel like comfort. It doesn't feel like like warmth and joy. Sometimes His presence for us means some discomfort. Right When we're in the midst of temptation that just keeps coming up again and again and again, the notion that God is present when I keep failing can sometimes be a little bit scary and very much terrifying. Sometimes God's presence, it feels like loss. It feels like lack. It feels like not having enough. Sometimes God's presence can be very uncomfortable to us. But you see, God's desire is not to make us comfortable. God's desire is to make us holy. God's desire is to make us 
his children and as he calls us back to himself, as he seeks to make us holy and and even make room in our lives for his own holiness, he is going to do whatever it takes to bring us back to him. Even if that means enduring suffering. Because it's in the midst of suffering that we learn to let go of those false idols, let go of those old sinful ways and turn our hearts back to God. To trust in His goodness, to trust in His mercy, to trust that His grace is sufficient. It's in suffering that we learn to trust. It's in our suffering and and perhaps even feeling as if we're under judgment That we learn that God, His grace, His mercy, not our worldly idols, are what we need to turn our hearts to. That we should cling to Him and nothing else. You know, I find it interesting that that when we jumped ahead to the book of Matthew, that when the angel comes to to Mary and Joseph, the command of the angel is to name the child, Jesus. Not Emmanuel, Jesus. Right? It says very clearly in Isaiah, his name will be Emmanuel. Right? And and Matthew even says that this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. But just as Emmanuel means God is with us, the name Jesus comes from the Hebrew Yeshua, meaning Yahweh saves. That we see that as God, as Emmanuel comes to be with us, He comes to save. He comes to rescue. And it's there on that cross of our Emmanuel that it's God's wrath and judgment meet His grace and His mercy. That there in one place we see both blessing and suffering both law and gospel proclaimed in the cross, as sin is judged, but grace and mercy and the very salvation of our God is poured out out in that place. We remember that God does not simply come to us on a quiet night in Bethlehem, but makes His presence known on a cross at Golgotha as He hangs for the sin of the world at Calvary. Just this, this last week, my wife and I were putting our daughter to bed. Uh, it was a Wednesday night after our, our midweek worship. And uh, kind of our, our normal routine is, is we'll, we'll read a Bible story and we'll, we'll pray and, and we'll, we'll maybe sing a song. And, and, and the song that, uh, that we sang that night uh, was the song, Children of the Heavenly Father. Um, and I've always, I've always liked this song. It's this, this very, very gentle tune. It's very familiar to many of us. And, and a lot of times I've, I've sung it and heard it sort of as just simply this, this very sentimental lullaby. And, and it certainly is that the, the tune is very, children of the heavenly father. I won't sing anymore. <laughs> but as I, uh, I couldn't entirely remember the words, and so I looked it up on my phone. And, and where I looked it up and, and found the lyrics, it also had just a brief history uh, of the song. Uh, and it was originally written in Swedish uh, by a, a Swedish woman uh, by the name of Carolina Sandell. 
And, and part of the history of this song is, is that just before she wrote it, uh, she was on a boating trip with her father. And, and it was on that boating trip uh, that she actually watched her father fall overboard and drown. And I remember reading that and then singing that song again. And it took on an entirely different meaning. I remember just hearing these words and, and thinking that this is no sentimental lullaby. Children of the Heavenly Father safely in his bosom gathered. Nestling bird nor star in heaven. Such a refuge ever was given. God his own does tend and nourish. In his holy courts they flourish. From all evil things he spares them. In his mighty arms he bears them. Neither life nor death shall ever from his children sever. Unto them his grace he showeth, and their sorrows all he knoweth. Though he giveth or he taketh, God his children never forsaketh. His the loving purpose solely, to preserve them pure and holy. You know, when you read and, and, and you hear and, and you sing those words in, in light of what had just happened to this hymn writer, suddenly what, what, what strikes us and, and what we hear and sing almost as this lullaby becomes almost a, a battle cry. It's these obstinate words from, from the, the pit of despair clinging to the only thing that she has left. Crying out in the face of suffering, saying, I don't care what my circumstances tell me. I don't care how distant or absent God feels right now. I trust that he is with me. I trust that he is good and that he is merciful and has blessings in store for me, even if I have to wait until the day that he raises me from the dead to see them. I trust that no matter the circumstances, that God is with us. May we learn to cry out, God is with us. May it be in the midst of hurt and suffering that we discover God's presence. May it be in the midst of the hardest things in life. May it be in the midst of our pain and our suffering. Even as we wrestle with temptation, that we cry out in faith and with conviction, God is with us. Amen? Amen. Amen.